Happy holidays from Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. This week, we will be sharing the second of two special episodes featuring former students of Laurie Pierce from DePaul University. If you haven't heard our conversation with Professor Pierce, please listen to episodes seven and eight of the podcast. Our conversation today is with Jack McNeil, a graduate of DePaul University, who is now the director of digital media at the Illinois Senate Democratic Fund. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Hello, Jack. Jack McNeil, welcome to the uh, Digication Scholars Conversation. Uh, I am so glad to be talking with you again today. Uh, Jack, you and I met uh, in early September, actually, when um, I had reached out to you because I had found um, your uh, work on the your Digication site, and and it was uh, it was something that I I was uh, really thrilled to see. Um, it was about um, the state of you know the justice system, and you had. Um, done some really in-depth research as well as your own personal involvement in um, uh, sort of the how one could get you know black prosecutors to be part of the justice system system to to sort of level things out a little bit. Uh, so um, having seen that, I, I reached out to you and then subsequently uh, uh, you had introduced me and had talked about um, you know your professor Laurie Pierce and I had since also talked to her and uh, and uh, that's uh, uh, you know I learned so much from her and was so inspired so um, I thought that it would be great to touch base with you again uh, because uh, you know you you sort of started this uh, <laughs> and uh, and so how about um, you want to you want to tell us a little bit about your yourself and you graduated uh, in 2019 from DePaul University. Yep. I want to tell us a little bit about, you know, what you were studying there. I know that you majored in a couple, you know, a couple of majors and, and so on. Yeah. So why don't you talk about that? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've never been on uh, the show like this before, quite like this. So uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, yeah, I guess I graduated last year at DePaul um, and I, Grew up in Moline, Illinois, which is Western Illinois, uh, right on the river. I kind of grew up around politics. Uh, was involved. Remember meeting Sen- then Senator, uh, you know, Barack Obama, very young age, and being very inspired. And you know, kind of reading his book now, hearing all these local players from Rock Island and all these towns that are are neighboring to me. So, kind of getting to witness that history up close was always very interested in politics. Uh, got involved a little bit in high school went to DePaul because I wanted to kind of work and be in school at the same time. I wasn't uh, fully interested in the kind of Big Ten experience. I wanted to dive into um, what Chicago politics was, a little bit more into applying research into everyday life in a practical term, and, uh, you know, just be around uh, be around people, get some experiences. So I went to Chicago and kind of dove into um, the political scene, working on a, a governor's race, traveling around the state, doing videos and photos and social media work, 
um, as well as starting to run the College Democrats at uh, DePaul and then also statewide. So for Illinois, traveling to different conventions, meeting people across the country and hopping kind of from one campaign to the next, uh, ended up doing a mayoral's race as well, doing same thing, video photos um, and doing some freelance work. And then uh, my my major in school was political science, of course, you know, just kind of baseline level and had discovered junior year had took a class, um, uh, an ABD class, so African and Black Diaspora Studies. And really, it was just fully eye-opening class. Uh, I don't think I'd ever been taught Black history in, through K-12 through at all, um, or well, for sure. Uh, we have a tendency to skip through in a linear fashion, you know, we had slavery, then we didn't. We had, uh, you know, MLK, and then now everything's good. Like, it's a very much a one to the next, and you don't learn about the backlash, and you don't learn about the complexities or the, the varying ideologies within any of these movements that actually, you know, built the society we have today. And so I think that was an eye-opening class. It was like the Harlem Renaissance, um, and it was exploring uh, artists as well as connecting to political movements and seeing how art is usually a reflection of the uh, – conditions that people live in in a certain time um, and seeing how race is, is deeply involved with that. Uh, and so I just started taking more of those classes. I found it super interesting and relevant to what I was witnessing around me in the post-Trump era, uh, having him won in 2016, as well as locally with things like Kim Fox, a state's attorney, who I do delve into with my uh, pro my project, uh, as well as other, obviously, issues going on in Chicago at that time, Laquan McDonald, that cover up, the building tensions in the city, uh, a mayoral race coming. And, and there's actually a, a docu-series called City So Real that kind of covers Chicago politics very well uh, on National Geographic. It was just put out, actually, and it covers from Laquan McDonald through the mayoral race. And I think it does a very good job showing, honestly, the uh, political tensions and coalitions in the city in a way that I think Chicago is often misrepresented uh, in national media. So it's a very long-winded way to say that uh, I found a kind of area of, of study and interest that I couldn't get enough of. It came late, granted, junior year, um, but the last year and a half, I, I tried to take as many of those classes and ended up in uh, uh, Professor Pierce's class uh, for a capstone. And that, and that is where the, the project came about, connecting, um, connecting the issues that we're talking about in the classroom to my other passion, interest, politics, and coming up with a project uh, looking at black uh, prosecutors being elected, reform-minded prosecutors, and how to connect the dots between some of the movements we see as well as uh, you know the conversations and, and new politicians um, being elected in office to try to I guess untangle mass incarceration and some of these other uh, you know rather damaging systems that we have today. Um, Jack, you are just incredibly impressive. I'm not sure if <laughs> you know I know too many people who have been such so accomplished mm. especially as an undergraduate <laughs> um sort of involved yourself in diving into the community and sure. and 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 having all these um very meaningful um jobs and involvements with with with, with, the, with the community so first thank you for that i i, I wish more of us do this <laughs> um appreciate it and um but there are a few there are a couple of things that I, I just got out of that that yeah. really is fascinating. Uh, one, I would say, is is your... You actually mentioned it maybe a couple of times on connecting the dots. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a big theme in your life. Yep. Um, you're making connections um, from your early lives and 
being part of sort of a Obama, you know, uh, in the Obama era, or maybe even before he became um, a national, uh, you know, an internationally known person, uh, probably at the local politics level. Um, I know that he was a community organizer even when he was younger. Um, and then, you know, uh, connecting all of that with post-Trump sort of uh, presidency and 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 now it's i guess post post trump right. <laughs> well, we'll see how it all goes yeah. uh, but uh, but uh but all of that is um it's it's really interesting because you mentioned how you wanted to you you've been sort of making connections with your real life mm-hmm. and how it impacts your real life and and the people around you and what's going on i think that's a that's a that's a really um important part of learning that a lot of maybe maybe perhaps a lot of your classmates wouldn't get um i know you probably know people as well as just as i do who go to school and a lot of what they do don't seem to connect to the real world yeah (laughs) um and yours seems to be almost the complete opposite it's almost starts from the real world how would you what would you think about that yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I, I do recognize that, uh, you know, a lot of people probably cannot afford to, uh, to uh, I mean, I let's be real, a lot of our schooling is aimed at very directly to, to a job after school, right? So a lot of people may not have that discovery period of what they're really interested in. So they're training themselves to, to fit into a very specific, you know, job description or whatnot. But for those that I think... Um, have obvious passions and a lot of people don't develop obvious passions until um, maybe even after college too. And so that's another piece of this, but yeah, I think that's right. I, 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 um, you know, growing up, my mom was a journalist and she was always telling me to kind of question things and question authority and, and those things kind of imprinted in me to really try to be as practical and, and honest about what I'm hearing in in classrooms and, and connecting to real world. I just, I guess I, I didn't like to, to, I felt waste time. I, I guess I'm a bit impatient sometimes in classrooms like that. So I'd try to, okay, well, let's get to the point or how does this actually apply to real life or let's debate this, you know, how, what you're saying is great. That's great in the abstract. How is it actually being applied uh, right now in, in, in this modern context and what's going wrong and why can't we question it? So I think I always uh, think about um, things like that when I'm, when I'm hearing them in a classroom. And I, I, I do think that the benefit of, I'm not trying to sell DePaul, but the benefit of going to a school in a place and every place has this. I mean, you got people running for office, every local level, there's always a way to get involved. But I would tell people that, you know, really going to somewhere that allows you to uh, have a wide array of experiences. If you want to get involved in a nonprofit organization, direct services for homeless populations, there's Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. There are organizations to get involved. If you want to get involved with electoral politics, there's organizations for that. And so I think forcing people to kind of step out of that comfort zone to thinking that, you know, the classrooms are just meant to be learning these and, and memorizing these ideas versus that's that's fine. We can memorize these ideas, but how are the ideas actually being pushed at a local level or a state level or a national level? And how are they, um, you know, imprinting our everyday life? I, I think people are seeing the role of government very clearly in COVID, uh, in this response, and then also in what people are able or not able to do right now. They're seeing local politics play a role that they haven't seen visibly probably in their whole life. And I hope that, you know, everything, 
I hope that uh, one of the only positives that could possibly come out of this is that people decide to get involved more and apply what they're learning about, apply abstract theories about what justice is or what humanity is or, or what helping the vulnerable is, whether it's from a religious, political, academic context and applying it to everyday life. And I think an event like uh, the COVID crisis and the racial reckoning that we've had this summer is the, the most uh, kind of in your face example of when you can start to apply some of these academic conversations to a actual real life context. And if we don't, then, you know, we see the parallels too of the perils of, of disinformation basically finding its way to, to take up any space that isn't already occupied. Misinformation, we can see how easy it is to split people up. And so I think, you know, I think it's incredibly important time to think about how we're actually applying theories to real life, uh, as well as, as giving people the proper literacy, whether it's about theories or media literacy, to, to, to push back on things, to challenge things that they hear and they see, even in the classrooms, because I, mean, I think, you know, talked about not having proper black history taught K through 12. A lot of teachers right now in this moment are not equipped uh, to, to be dealing with a lot of these issues uh, around black, black history, whether it's from textbooks at the state level being developed um, or, or even how they're talking about the election uh, and, and how they're telling their students what's occurring right now. And so there's just a lot of work that needs to be done in applying, I think, the ideals that we're taught versus um, seeing how they uh, come about in real life and the, and the impact on people every day. I think you're so on point there. The idea of black history, but a lot of other parts of history being glossed yeah. over um, based on lots of times, lots of different biases yep. that, you know, comes into play and, for whatever, for whatever reason, you know, there's also, you know, things almost that feels like, hey, this is what the textbook says. This is always being covered this way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, what could have been huge lessons that we could learn is summarized in that one line right. or glossed over in <laughs> one little diagram and was like, that was it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and oh. it almost feels like that there is a, there's almost an infinite amount of history that one could really dive into. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, we've cornered ourselves and mapped out this whole thing about mm -hmm. this is what world history looks like. This is what U.S. history looks like. Right. And we must cover all these periods yep. within these how many years of history that we provide, you know, especially the K-12 level. Yeah. And that's like no matter what history happened, we have to cover it, meaning that 100 years from now, yep. You know, we still have to cover all of the same history plus the last hundred years. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, in in the same period of number of lessons or classes or you know, um, uh, 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 number a number of pages of textbooks that there is. So right. things would just get continuously diluted, yep. right? Um, and which is why I thought you, when I went to see when I discovered your portfolio, your site, I was just so excited because it was the exact opposite. You dove really specifically mm -hmm. into, I mean, I really started with that Kim Fox page. Because, right. um, you know, it's, it's. Um, why don't you tell us about that? How did you, sure. how did you get to that? Because that's a pretty <laughs> interesting, interesting uh, story in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, well, first on the, the history textbook thing, you just made me think of uh, a joke I saw on Twitter that, uh, you know, people 
people will not even get to 2020 in 100 years from now because their textbook will they'll they'll run out of time after World War II to even get beyond that. <laughs> we, we're right. in a classroom where okay, we ran out of time. You know, we we're hoping to cover you know the civil rights era or you know the Reagan presidency or something, but we're run out of time. So I think that's a consistent theme that needs to be addressed. But uh, on the uh, the portfolio itself, yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think she was kind of the starting point um, in terms of how I viewed the project. I was trying to find a way. At first, it was more of a, an abstract idea about just black political power in general. And then I was like, OK, let's hone down to be a little bit more specific, um, hone in. And, you know, she was someone who I had my first phone bank at, with with our college Democrat group was going to do a, a phone bank for her. Uh, it was a race I'd watch very closely. Again, it, we're talking about the dynamics of Laquan McDonald cover up. And she was coming in directly in that context um, to to basically, in, in essence, the groundswell was to kick out Anita Alvarez, who was that current state's attorney. Um, she had been supported by a lot of the kind of Democratic machine in Chicago up until this election. And, and a lot of those, uh, you know, figures and the political parties actually would then switch to support the more progressive candidate, Kim Fox. Um, and so witnessing that kind of in real time, seeing the backlash that she uh, garnered just by existing in that office, you know, kind of the the immediate pushback you see of of people that are occupying spaces that have not they have not occupied. Again, the prosecutorial uh, we're looking at ninety five percent of prosecutors across the country are white. Uh, most of them are white men. I think it's like ninety two percent. We're talking about thousands of jurisdictions, and to have a an office that is just so uh, regularly viewed as oh, of course you have a white guy who runs on a tough on crime playbook. And that's that's just the accepted thing. Um, and what I wanted to do in, in bringing her up is to tie the history of, of movements that have led to her, um, you know, being elected. One of them, uh, if you look at in the 60s, she now occupies an office that was once held by Ed Hanrahan, who was part of ordering the murder of Fred Hampton. Right. A, a prominent civil rights uh, activist in, in, in the 60s who was featured in the trial of Chicago seven Netflix documentary for the or not. Netflix movie for those who, you know, are, are, are consuming it that way. So it's just amazing to see kind of the power of, I think, representation in that office and witnessing that pushback at a local level, as well as just following kind of um, what she was aiming to do with the office around transparency, around uh, changing how we view misdemeanors, uh, getting people, you know, reducing the the population of, of folks that are going to, to jail, um, trying to attack mass incarceration, trying to look at these systems a little more critically into, are we actually accomplishing what we say we want to accomplish? Um, and so I think she was leading the country in a lot of these reforms. I mean, there's a, you know, we have a long ways to go, uh, but I wanted to start there and then viewing her race in context to that year, 2015, 2016, a bunch of prosecutors were elected that were running on kind of a reform, uh, reform message that were maybe opposed by the local police union that that um, were looking to move towards decarceration at least at kind of lower level offenses, uh, which was a, you know, and then that's a big shift politically. It's a huge shift of what people are looking for out of their DAs and states attorneys. And so I thought it was worthy diving in, and then I wanted to of course connect it to. Um, larger movements, the kind of theories around them, um, and just basically the, the struggle to get there. And then, of course, the debate of you have a lot of activists. It's like you're a prosecutor, you're a cop, and there's no way to be progressive. And so trying to kind of read through the critiques of even this idea of trying to use the system to fix some of these problems, um, I thought was was interesting. But I ultimately kind of cited on the 
this is a good thing that we have people like Kim Fox running for office and in office, and she can make a big she can make a big difference. And people across the country, Wesley Bell, you know, say twenty or thirty probably prosecutors, likely more after this past election, uh, have been elected on these kind of reform minded tickets. So in my mind, it's a very real political phenomenon. Um, that is making a big difference in people's lives because at the local level, and I think President Obama has talked about this uh, in the wake of the summer, he really focused on electing new state's attorneys, district attorneys, sheriffs, um, and looking at cities, mayors to to contract with the police unions. Like A lot of the reform can happen there between police unions, state's attorneys, district attorneys, and sheriffs. And um, I think, you know, it's just an incredibly important conversation that needs to happen and also I think has been happening for, for many years and, and picked up steam over the last five years. Yeah, it, this is, um, I mean, you mentioned Obama again and and uh, I, I'm i also just, um, I'm, I'm enjoying his book right now. I yeah. just f- read the first few chapters. I'm almost like savoring it yes. because it's- Hey, there's a volume two coming though. Hey, you know, he is as good a writer as any writers. Yeah. I mean, his, his book, I mean, it was beautifully written. Yep. Um, and uh, as you were just saying, that reminded me, one of my favorite pieces I read so far was when he um, ultimately was, you know, trying to decide whether he was going to run. I think it was... Um, uh, it was uh, it was it was like in a December of it must have been two thousand seven or something, yeah. and he was um, no 2006, 2007? Six. yeah probably two thousand six, yeah, yeah. and he was because uh, he was a bit coy before then you know people asked so he wasn't sure, and he ultimately needed to get um, Michelle Michelle's blessing yeah and Michelle was kind of wasn't into it. Because uh, it was, you know, sort of making, you know, his. They know what it means, you know, the toll that it's going to take on their family, and yep. and she's like, "Hey, things are doing pretty well. Your book is doing well. We put <laughs> some money, right? Don't mess this thing up." And um, and I think, you know, like Michelle asked him, so you you only wanted to run because you think you can bring something that the other Democratic candidates can't bring. Like what is like what is is that true? Like what what is that? And and he said, well, because if if I run and I win, the day that I, you know, um, get sworn in, it would be the day where the world is look at the world and everyone in you know in the U.S. is gonna to see this as a, a point in history where. It is now possible for mm-hmm. someone who's black, you know, to to do this, and it gives possibilities to uh, black, Hispanic, Asian, all these, all all the kids mm-hmm. out there that that they have a chance, right? And it really does make it such a what a what a big difference. Yeah. Um, of course, it 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 did, you know, it he won and and um, and it was it is a, it is still one of the most. Uh, I felt like 2008 was still one of the most mo- momentous mm-hmm. uh, part of our history, you know, yeah. to, to see that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. But this idea of having this local, you know, um, involvement, what I find to be extremely exciting when you talk about it, mm-hmm. Jack, is, uh, is that you have clearly developed this 
mission in life almost. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Tell tell me a little bit about your current job now, because I I think that there's a connection that we can make there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what what have you done since graduating from DePaul, having yeah. that opportunity yeah. to have been in this excellent program? Um, yeah. What what happened? Yeah. So I uh, I pretty much you know after the summer looking for jobs that fit well, I uh, jumped down to Springfield, Illinois, uh, which is our capital uh, city, and and you know where they where they legislate. They got the capital down there, and um, actually I, I was born there. My dad had worked there. Um, for years growing up before moving. And so, you know, I was always somewhat familiar, but uh, and heard stories about Springfield and what went down there. Um, and I connected with a uh, state senator who I was a, a very fond of, who, who spent about five years to pass education funding reform in Illinois. Uh, it, Illinois had been the most in, inequitable uh, state with the funding formula. Um, poor schools in Chicago and rural parts of the, uh, the state downstate, even in my uh, Western Illinois just basic stuff that um, facilities didn't have. And, you know, if you look at these systems are funded by property taxes, wealthy suburbs, uh, mostly white, uh, would be doing very well in and around Chicago. And the, kind of the rest of the state suffers. And, and and a lot of the city of Chicago suffers, too. I mean, you have 50 schools closed in the south and west side in 2013, massive school closures. And, you know, unfortunately, politicians play on the division between Chicago and downstate. Um, but you know what? The problems really are similar. Uh, the problems really are similar, whether you're in a rural school district that's underfunded or, um, you know, a, a school in the south or west side of Chicago, predominantly black or brown, that is also underfunded for decades of disinvestment and then end up closing. And so I, I he was from a very small town. He is from a very small town. I think he represents the smallest town of anyone in the state Senate. Uh, Senator Andy Menar, for those interested in looking a little deeper into it. He's from Bunker Hill, a town of, I think, 1,000 people, 1,200 people. And he had spent five years on this crusade of trying to fix the formula of education funding in Illinois. Um, and it's the bill passed, made huge improvements, still a long ways to go. He'll be the first to tell anyone. But that was when he kind of got on my map. And so I found an opportunity to work as uh, his legislative assistant. Um, obviously, that time was cut short because of COVID, but it was scheduling constituency calls, uh, constituency calls going to uh, you know, going into hearings, for example, committee hearings, and then he was chair of the appropriations committee. So, you know, calling roll and listening to university presidents tell you why they need an increase in budget and what justifies that and all these things. So uh, he was one, he is one of the more skilled legislators. So I was very lucky to have a spot open up with him. Uh, and then from there, I uh, hopped over to the political side of the Senate Dems uh, in Illinois, and I'm currently, you know, doing their digital for uh, digital social media video work for uh, kind of the in-house person to do it. So for any of the members of the Senate, obviously, we just wrapped up the campaign and had a focus of about seven to eight of the kind of closest uh, competitive races in the Senate. Um, so I was working closely with those campaigns. And uh, we won all of them. So now the majority for the Senate is not 40. Now it's 41. Got an extra seat. Um, big agenda, but it's tough, obviously, without any federal federal uh, bill right, with COVID. It's very difficult for a budget to be passed and planned, um, you know, moving forward. So long way to go. But yeah, I, I definitely still working very much, uh, very much at the at the local level. Um and help out as many kind of local candidates as I, as I can this past election cycle as well. That is amazing to <laughs> hear, Jack. Um, 
your parents must be so proud of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think DePaul should be pretty proud of you as well. <laughs> um, Blue Demons. Uh, I think that the uh, I think that the uh, the the fact that you had sort of jumped onto that and almost I mean your your life has been so driven by this mission um, and I, I kind of I mean it almost feels like that for you it comes it came built mm. in you know that's part of Jack <laughs> um, and um, I think that it would be interesting for people who might be listening to this to identify, mm. you know, if they are educators, you know, their own student within their own body of, you know, the students that they work with, mm-hmm. ones that are like you who have this drive, who has this sort of mission in life and giving them the opportunity to do this. But for those that don't have it, it almost feels like that that's the first thing that they need to get the students to have um, as opposed to just keep, um, you know, pumping them into, with, with, with things in a textbook because that's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, they're never going to make that connection. I think that they'll, they'll, they, they might make, I mean, they, they might make connections later in their life, I guess, you know, and sometimes you just have to keep teaching them anyway. Yeah. But there has got to be some better ways to almost reverse the order of some of these things. Is it shouldn't be about we'll just teach you a bunch of stuff as, right. as if the mission part, the, the passion part, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. um, and then later you'll find it. Right. Um, that's that's hard. That's that's really almost like the wrong way of doing it. Yeah. Because look at you, you you you're unstoppable. What's what's next for you, Jack? <laughs> well, I do agree. I do agree with, uh, with everything <laughs> that you've said, um, uh, particularly around the passions and finding that um, uh, you know in concert with school. Um, what is next? Well, I am planning to take the LSAT in January online, so that is a uh, you know a step. I was studying for a bit and then got distracted this summer and picked it back up, um, you know, leading up to the election and after it. So I have, I have some time following the election to kind of commit to that. Um, so that will be interesting to, to take it online and, and, uh, get through that. Um, and I mean, ideally I, I would, would go to law school next fall. Uh, DePaul would definitely be a, a top choice for me trying to get back to, uh, the city. Um, so, and, and of course continue working for the Senate. And so that would be, continuing to do their uh, social media and videos and graphics and kind of what they need member to member wise. Um, and, uh, try to do that while going through law school, I think is the kind of immediate goal. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of on the immediate horizon right now. I'm, I'm so excited for you. Uh, I'm sure that you would do well wherever you land. Um, I, I wanted to, um, sort of, uh, go back to a couple of things that I know, off, off you. Um, <clears throat> I know. I think that uh, it would be quite interesting um, to have you talk a little bit about the nitty gritty of how you tackle this research project that you did. Mm-hmm. So this capstone project. Um, could you describe that a little bit? Maybe sort of, no. you know, in stages how how it came to be and what sort of uh, how did you you know, structure it and, 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 and maybe what you learned from it. Yeah. I mean, um, 
you know, it has been a little bit of time since I did it, but I, I remember the process quite well because, I mean, I don't think I had a project that forced me to kind of think that critically or, or be that specific about what I was actually trying to uh, project and inform people of, uh, which I think is, is good. I think, I think really, and credit to Professor Pierce, I mean, she, she was not going to allow someone to have a, a sort of idea of what this is that wasn't really well thought out because it's like, okay, what, is, what is the question that you're driving at? What are you actually trying to, um, to get across? And so I think, you know, we spent a few weeks, uh, brainstorming and honing in on kind of that leading question. What, what is the actual point? What is the, the message that you're going to be bringing here? And that was that few week period. I was able to kind of hone down as specific as possible around the role of prosecutors and the role of black prosecutors, uh, progressive black prosecutors, um, and kind of all the surrounding uh, phenomenons that have led to the elections and also kind of the impact, uh, really focusing on the impact and their role in uh, tackling mass incarceration. So um, I think I, I definitely kind of research outward where I have a Google Docs of like 50 million different ideas and themes and concepts and, you know, million tabs of, uh, OK, well, here's here's all my stuff on Kim Fox. How am I going to piece that together? You know, here's a paper that says you can't be a progressive prosecutor. Okay. Let's read that, take some notes. And so I just try to consume as much information. I was listening to podcasts around, can you be a progressive prosecutor? Listening to podcasts at Kim Fox, listening to interviews, justice in America was a great podcast. I mean, if you look at my sources on, on the, uh, on, on the portfolio, it's just a ton of uh, primary and, and second uh, sources. And I, I think that was intentional. I was trying to consume as much information about um, the topic as well as just very, very practical information about who, who the prosecutors were, the pushback they were receiving, the policies they were enacting. Um, and I, I think that naturally through, the, through uh, Professor Pierce's process week to week kind of forced you to organize it um, a little better. I mean, I, I, I definitely I tend to ramble on. I'm sure people in this conversation will be able to tell. So for me to be able to kind of differentiate organize it in a way that makes sense was uh, was a huge piece of this as well because i had i mean i had a lot of content and i had a lot of ideas of where to take it and so i think uh, probably the most important thing was the first thing honing in on what the actual question is that you're trying to solve or the problem you're trying to solve um and i think once that became so specific to not just prosecutors not mass incarceration not black political power that's too broad for what what i was going to be able to try to answer for specifically black progressive prosecutors, how they're elected, the role and impact and and kind of the movements around them. And so once it got something as specific as that, and again, I mean, there's there there just aren't that many of them across the country. So that was also in some ways helpful to uh, both, you know, validate sort of what I was trying to get at, but also um, look at, okay, in 2015, we had, you know, X amount were elected. Why, why in 2015 did that occur, right? In the wake of Black Lives Matter, in the wake of police, uh, you know, murders by the police, basically, and cover-ups with Kwame McDonald, very specifically in Chicago. Um, and Kim Fox uh, credits organizers to uh, the Bayanita uh, campaign to, to help propel her victory. I don't think it's the only reason, but it's a huge, huge part of it. And so um, I think getting something very specific and then consuming as much information about that topic as possible was helpful to me. I had a big, a wrong, long running Google doc of everything I wanted. I'd read something, I'd highlight it. I'd be like, okay, that's a provoking question. Forces you to rethink this a little bit. 
And then finally kind of just splitting it up into sections. Okay, this is this is the debate about whether someone can be a progressive prosecutor. That's relevant because someone's going to read this and be skeptical of whether that's even possible. So I got to convince that person that it's worth even engaging in that discussion, that electoral politics can be useful basically in this in this context. At the same time, we have to give credit to the organizations and activism of decades that led to this moment. Okay. And then also uh, look at the power of representation, uh, seeing all of these black prosecutors elected in 2015 and what that could mean to people going through law school or growing up to see it's possible. And that's a position that they could hold and maybe want to hold to fix things that have gone wrong. And so I think I just felt it was uh, I felt it was necessary to include all of those in that uh, because I think it all tells that story. Uh, and so the real challenge was, I think, just kind of separating out the content to uh to kind of make sense of it, frankly. And so for someone who maybe this is their first time looking into the topic could very easily just look at the tabs and just be like, okay, let's figure out who Kim Fox is. Interesting. How did she get elected? You know, what, what are the organizers that may have helped her get elected? What do they think? Um, is, what does this mean that she's even elected in the first place? And how does it relate to uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, protests and movements of the past few years? So, it's a lot there. I, I, it's not a one size fits all by any means, but I think getting as specific as you can, having a a, a real goal to kind of the the research that you're doing, and then I, for me, it was just consuming a, a, just a ton of content about it uh, and starting to separate it out from there. I think that you had talked about you know being able to to almost like you know you you do all these research and you ask your own questions. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's such a, it's such an engaging way for anyone to look into, you know, anything that you're interest, one is interested in, and I, I wish that more, um, more, more aspects of learning is like that because it feels much more like this is what this is this is the kind of thing that you do in your, yeah, after you graduate too, right? That's right. what, that's what you've been doing, and. And having those skills, having those experiences help you do that. Otherwise, you have to basically start from scratch. Um, you yeah. would have to figure that out, you know, after you go to school. And right. that wouldn't be so good. You should <laughs> have it. You should, you should have that ex as an experience for you. At for least, sure. you know, maybe more than just one, but, you know, multiple. Yeah. Um, and and I, I also really like that, um, I mean, by the time I consumed your website, yeah. Um, it was very well organized at, already at that point. So there is a translation from that um, sort of raw, I just have some instincts. Mm -hmm. I'm just reading, consuming, whatever that I can, and then making, making sense of it. Right. And then having to express what you made sense of right. um, in these pages. And the organization of that was... was is 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 really good. I recommend people check out um, check out your site. Um, well, I I think that um, you know that's that's a uh, that's uh, your work has been so inspiring, Jack. And I hope that uh, I hope that it all goes well with the LSAT. You know, in January yeah. and uh, taking it online uh, and uh, yeah. I'm sure people, uh, lots of people are still doing it, and I, I have no doubt, um, in my mind that whatever happens, you'll end up doing, 
you know, dedicating your life into doing really meaningful things, um, there's, you know, there's no doubt about that. And, and, and good on you on, 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 on doing all these things and continue, continuing to be an inspiration to us all. Um, Appreciate the kind words. Yeah. And, uh, I'll, uh, I guess I'll, uh, touch base with you, uh, check in with you maybe after, after the new year, see how things go. Yes. Uh, you, uh, uh, till then, study hard and <laughs> take care and keep site safe. Yeah. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, jump back online again and we can catch up once you uh, once you progress further. Sounds good. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks, Jack. Yep. I know. The Digication Scholars Conversation Series is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K through twelve and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for listening.